Um, we're going to begin this morning. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then um, I'll talk about what we're going to do. Let me pray. Father, we give you thanks for this day. Thank you for this new Lord's Day and um, your grace and mercy, which um, stretches out before us, um, which follows behind us, Father. Um, and Father, we thank you for the specific manifestation of your grace and mercy, which we anticipate this morning um, as you meet with us again, as we gather um, as the church, um, as you promised to draw near to us and to minister to us um, by your Holy Spirit through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would prepare our hearts for worship this morning, um, for all that you have prepared for us. And we pray um, now for our Sunday school hour. We pray for Jeff as he um, shares with us about his life and his heart. Um, we're thankful for the gift of him coming on to serve us as a pastor at our church. And I pray that, um, that you would bless this time as our congregation gets to know him better. Um, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so as you all know, um, the session has recently called Jeff Prager to serve as an assistant pastor on about a half-time basis for us as our, um, on our church staff. And we're delighted about that, excited to have Jeff come. Um, as I communicated in my email to you all, um, there's a process that any pastor in the PCA has to go through to be approved um, by the presbytery um, before they can take a new call. Um, even if they've been previously ordained, it doesn't matter. The presbytery still has to give approval um, to that uh, new call that they're taking up. And I'm excited that Jeff has gone through the preliminaries of that process in our presbytery. He still has to go. Um, the first weekend in November, um, November 4th and 5th, to stand before the Presbytery and answer any questions that, um, that men might have for him about his um, background or his theological views or his differences with the Westminster Standards. Um, but Jeff has already done the initial portion of that process by meeting with the Theological Examining Committee this past week, and he did a wonderful job. I'm on that committee, and I was really proud of him and thankful for how he um, handled himself in that interview and that exam, and um, he received the unanimous vote of the committee um, that allows him to essentially begin his ministry here among us on a, um, you know, uh, in a preliminary way um, before he receives the full approval of the presbytery. Um, after he receives that full approval in early, Mar in early November, um, we'll then have a special service, probably during a Lord's Day worship service, um, potentially an evening service, I'm not sure. Um, where Jeff will be formally installed as a pastor in our congregation, and there's um, different um, things, aspects that are part of that um, service um, in our denomination in terms of vows and um, charges and different things like that. So that'll all happen, um, hopefully in November, um, but we are able to begin with Jeff just working with our church now. Um, he's going to be preaching in a few weeks. Um, he's hopefully starting this week in terms of his ministry um, here at the church, so you can hear more, you'll hear more soon about things that he's going to initiate and start in the life of our congregation. But um, to kind of give him a, an opportunity um, at the very beginning of his ministry among us, I wanted to give him this um, Sunday school hour to uh, just introduce himself to you and give you a, an overview of his life, um, his background, his heart for ministry, and um, why he is excited about being a pastor um, at this congregation. So, with all those things said, Jeff, I'm going to let you come up and take it away. Jeff's plan is to speak for about um, what, 35, 40 minutes, something like that. Sure. And then we'll do some Q&A um, after that if there are things you want to hear more about. So. All right. Thank you. Good morning. 
It's a privilege to stand before you. See, it's, it's been a while. Um, so on Wednesday, I completed my transfer exam, and afterwards, Josh and I celebrated at Cafe Medi, and that's one of my favorite places because I love Middle Eastern food, and so does he. That's the first place that we've eaten, and we've eaten there many times together. He asked me uh, during that meal if I might be interested in giving my testimony, and I said that I would be happy to do so, and so that's what I'm going to do today. Um, if you've not actually ever given your testimony, it's actually a very helpful exercise. I've given it in uh, brief segments, but not in a chronological sense from, from start to finish or for where I'm here presently. So it was really a helpful exercise for me to survey my own life, to see how the Lord's hand has been upon it and how he's directed me and my family. And if you've not done that, I would commend you to write on paper, maybe for the benefit of yourself and maybe your own family, your own testimony. Um, not to bore you with many details, but to let you know, I'm a Gen Xer. So I was born in 1975 uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to Glenn and Arlene Prager. My father was a civil engineer. My mother was his secretary, so that's how they met. I'm the oldest of three siblings. Uh, my other sister, I have two sisters. My middle sister is Suzanne. Youngest is Stephanie. I'm four years older than Suzanne and almost 13 years older than my youngest sister. So for her growing up, I was kind of like a second dad in the house, and my parents appreciated having an on-hand babysitter. I, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. I was blessed to have Christian parents from the day the Lord gave me breath. And in my house, I was blessed to have not only Christian parents, but Christian parents that modeled Christ to me and my sisters on a daily basis. Jesus was the center of everything that we did. I had a great family as well, grandparents that were Christians. I have Christians on both sides of the family that go back generations, so extremely blessed. Cousins that are Christians. I have been uh, the recipient of, of much blessing. I had many childhood friends, uh, great loves and joys in my family, but probably my best friend was my cousin, Michael Scribba. Uh, I lived in Pennsylvania for about five years, five to seven years. We moved a little bit in between there. But my cousin, Michael, taught me a lot. He was, we called him Mickey. He was born with uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. So with only uh, a few years after being born, he lost the ability to walk and was wheelchair bound for the rest of his life. He was eight years older than me, but I thought he was the coolest dude on planet Earth. I loved his motorized wheelchair and would often hop on the back of it and we would cruise the mall when malls used to be uh, places that people went. We would go to the movies together and we spent countless hours playing video games. He was a Christian, and he taught me a lot about life. I loved spending time with him and loved serving him. Uh, there wasn't much that he could do other than move a mouse or press a key on a keyboard, so I would have to feed him and help him go to the restroom and dress him and take care of him. And he never once complained. Uh, he was a model for me as a young boy and as a teenager before he passed what it meant to be a Christian that knew how to suffer well how to endure, how to persevere, and not complain. And so those are lessons I take with me even to this day. When things are hard, I think of my cousin Mickey. I grew up Presbyterian. I didn't grow up in the PCA, 
initially, I grew up in the Northern Presbyterian branch in the PCUSA. My father was an elder at Hillcrest Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, I was there for a few years, but my parents, uh, having studied the scripture and sitting under the teaching of an assistant pastor at that church, had learned the doctrines of grace uh, and taught in a way that at this point in, in the PCUSA's history in the mid-70s, late-70s, was not being taught any further. So my father, along with some other families from that church, and that was the church I was baptized in, and a pa assistant pastor of that church, left that church, and they planted a church in Pennsylvania in 1983 named New Hope PCA. Uh, that was actually in the city of Monroeville, which is where I lived until 1983. I lived uh, there till 1983. In between there, though, we did move to Texas at one point. My dad worked for Alcoa, which is the Aluminum Company of America. He was a civil engineer. We actually moved from Pittsburgh, where the headquarters was, to Victoria, Texas. So I lived there for, for two years. So this is my second stint in the great state of Texas. And uh, back then, though, in the, in the late 70s, it was a small town compared to now. It's much larger. Victoria is west of Corpus Christi and east of San Antonio. My uh, oldest sister, Suzanne, was born in Texas, so she's technically a Texan. I was born in Pittsburgh, and my youngest sister born in Tennessee. Um, Tennessee was a great place to grow up. I, uh, I've lived in a lot of states now, six, but most of my life, my... Um, formative years were spent growing up in Tennessee. And so even though I was born in Pennsylvania, I consider myself a Southerner and a Tennessean. And I've lived in Georgia as well. And uh, I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. We lived in the small town of Maryville, which is just south of Knoxville. It's the gateway town into the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, uh, not far for Aaron Gentry. The Gentrys live now. I grew up going to the Smoky Mountains. I love the mountains. Uh, and I'll make a shameless plug for Texas, though, if you don't know it. There are great mountains here in Big Bend National Park, 500 miles away. <laughs> but I would commend you to go there. So growing up Prager was growing up visiting national parks. I spent a lot of time hiking and camping and backpacking, fishing and car camping and just enjoying the beauty of nature. My family was all about traveling, so my dad's goal in life was to get to every state in the United States, which he's done. That's a goal I've adopted. I've been to about 41, 42 states, and one of my goals is to go to every major national park. So I love the outdoors. I love creation. I came to faith, uh, saving faith in Christ, uh, right after we moved to Tennessee. So at, I think, I believe at the age of seven, right before I turned eight, or maybe I was eight, uh, starting third grade, my mother sat me down at the kitchen table uh, after we had moved and, and explained the gospel to me, which I had heard many times, but on that day and that time, it resonated with me in, in, a, in a real tremendous way. And so I placed my faith in Christ, and he saved me and regenerated me. But because of the blessings I had as a Christian growing up in a Christian home, there was never a time that I didn't know or love Jesus or that Jesus wasn't spoken about in our house. So my testimony is really of one of Ephesians 1, where I was blessed to be called before the foundations of the world. So Christ was always before us. And growing up Prager, growing up in my house, was growing up in a teaching house. Even though my father was a civil engineer, he had the gift of teaching. 
He loved to teach adult Sunday school. He was a ruling elder in the PCA. He's now uh, stepped back from that in, in his age. And he also was involved heavily with a number of church activities. So he helped plant a church in Pennsylvania. And when we moved to Tennessee, he helped plant another PCA church in Maryville. We attended Cedar Springs PCA in Knoxville when we first moved there in the mid-80s. There was no PCA church in Maryville. We attended Cedar Springs. That's the same church that Rachel Wenzel went to, or Rachel Allen went to when she was a young girl, when she lived in Knoxville. And most likely our parents and I interacted with her in Sunday school and at church and, and didn't even know that. Um, in 1987, my Family helped plant a church. We named it Smoky Mountain Presbyterian, and that was the church that I grew up in. It's my childhood church where I learned the scriptures. It's the church where I had my first ministry position as well, and it's the church where I married my wife in. So it's, it's been a blessing to me. Um, as far as my teen years, I'll just breeze back through some of that, but I grew up, uh, <laughs> I grew up in the public school system. I did not go to a Christian school. I was not homeschool. I said I grew up in a teaching house because later my mother helped start a Christian school in Maryville, and she was the chairman of a board for a number of years. So growing up in my house was very much growing up a part of the church. Church was, and, and church ministry was life. We lived at the church, uh, lived at the Christian school, were just involved heavily and so this was modeled before me as a kid and as a teenager and as a young man that you're involved in the life of the church, serving one another. This did not take hold though for me academically. Uh, I was not a great student, which for those that do know me and, and some of you are learning about me, I'm in, heavily involved in academics now. In fact, I, I went to the Maryville Public School Systems. I, maybe had a C minus GPA when I graduated high school. Uh, I just didn't like school. My, my outlets were music. I played saxophone, alto saxophone, which my oldest son does now. He's already surpassed me though in saxophone. He plays baritone as well. I love to run. God made me a really, really fast white kid. You would not know that by looking at me now, but uh, I was really fast. I ran track and cross country and I had great friendships. So those were my outlets in school, but academics was, was not my outlet. So when I, when I graduated from high school, I thought there's probably no way, no way I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it in college, no way that I'll get into college. So for a while, I flirted with the idea of going into the military. I had an interest in law enforcement and thought maybe I would join the army and go the route of maybe being military police. And then afterwards, I might go to college and go to officer candidate school. But on a whim, my parents still encouraged me to apply to colleges, not thinking I would actually get accepted anywhere. And I did apply, and I did get accepted at a few places, shockingly. I can't believe they would actually want me. I was accepted at University of Tennessee, go balls, and uh, a few other places in Tennessee, but I was also accepted at Covenant College. And uh, yes, that's right, Jacqueline is a Covenant uh, grad. And I decided that I would, uh, I would, I would go to Covenant. And uh, they accepted me on academic probation. So I actually had to approve myself. I do not think that I would be accepted and able to attend today. Their standards are <laughs> well higher than what they were. Covenant, explain what Covenant College 
Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, let me make a plug for our, for our college. So Covenant College is the official uh, university, official college for our denomination, Presbyterian Church in America. And we also have an official seminary, which I attended and I'll talk about that too as well. The Covenant um, is a fantastic place. So if you have teenagers in your life, cousins, if you have friends that have teenagers that are looking for a Christian school to go to, uh, send them to Covenant. It was a, it's a great institution. Uh, and um, I, I can't speak highly enough of what the Lord did in my life and how he used that school to change me and set me on the trajectory that I am. But that's the official college of our denomination. Uh, it was the best decision I ever made, hands down. Uh, transform me, inwardly and outwardly. It uh, took an immature, uninteresting person, I think, didn't care about academics, and, and matured me. Uh, it gave me a love and a passion for not just the scriptures, but just for learning uh, all around. Because in public school, though I grew up in the South and grew up in Tennessee, and you could still pray in school there in Tennessee, they still did that, and they had Christian radio on. The general message is that you, you study to get a good job to make money. That's, that's the worldview presented to you in public school. And so to go to a covenant, even though I grew up in a PCA home and had a father that was a, t a ruling elder that taught me the scriptures, I was just smacked in the, in the face with the reality that I, as a, a Christian man, uh, had an obligation to give my mind to the Lord as well. And so I learned two things. Education is a profoundly Christian calling and duty. And I learned that education was a vehicle for growing in my love for Jesus. And I, uh, I took as many classes as I could. Uh, I graduated with a degree in sociology, which my best friends teased was the degree in pre-unemployment. I also had a, I, I had a minor in philosophy, but I took so many classes, I was soaking it all up, that I probably could have had a minor in history and business and art as well. I just overloaded every semester. Because I was confronted with the reality that the disciplines that we study are really disciplines from the Lord. We are learning about his world, who he is, how he's made us and shaped us and redeemed us. And for the first time in my life, I was challenged by that. And, and one of the main avenues that I received that, that, that information was sitting in the dorm rooms talking with my roommates and hallmates. Covenant as a Christian school does not have fraternities and sororities, so your hall where you live ends up being your band of brothers, so to speak. So there were countless nights, almost every day, where we would sit in the commons and we would, we would pour over the scriptures. Uh, we would talk theology. We would talk church history. And I just started to soak that up, I think, in a way that was even beyond many of my friends. So that when I would go home for the summers, I was doing geeky things like and this was when there were still VCRs, I was sticking in VHS tapes and recording episodes on the Catholic station EWTN and like listening to what they're saying and like debating in my mind what's going on. Things that normal 19 and 18 and 20 year olds were not doing at that time. Um, of all those experiences though, that really transformed me and set me on a, a trajectory toward uh, a call to ministry Covenant College required, and they still do, and, and many colleges require this, but they require a cross-cultural experience to graduate. 
It was built into the curriculum no matter what your major was, and mine was sociology. Although every student from Covenant comes out basically with a minor in biblical studies, that's just baked into the program there. Um, you all have to take a number of biblical courses. But we had a required cross-cultural experience, and mine took me to Israel uh, in, I think, the December of 95 or somewhere around there. Two of my friends called me over my Christmas break and asked me if I wanted to go to Israel the summer of 1996. And I was like, wow, that would be quite an experience, and that would fulfill my, my requirement for a cross-cultural experience. And I asked them, well, why, why are you going on this? And they said, well, our grandfather's a biblical archaeologist. He digs in Israel. And I was like, yeah, sign me up. So I begged and begged and begged and begged my parents to let me go. Uh, and being the responsible adult that I was now at 20, they actually let me go to Israel with my friends. I uh, flew on TWA when that still existed. Uh, and they still gave you water and newspapers, unlike now. Landed in Ben-Gurion Airport in the summer of 1996 and spent a fantastic summer in the country of Israel. I didn't know what I was doing, uh, but I knew I loved it. And it reinforced everything that I was learning in my college context of studying the scriptures. We dug at the city of Ai, which is mentioned in Joshua chapter 6. It's the city that Joshua attacks after they enter the promised land. It's one of the candidates we don't know if it's the actual site of Ai. In that passage, Joshua uh, loses the initial battle because of the sin of Achan, and then they have to re-attack it, and the Lord blesses them in that second attack. I still have pottery from that excavation, and that was transformative because setting uh, my feet in the Holy Land as a 20-year-old, studying the scriptures, talking about it all day, and then actually tangibly seeing and touching it had a a profound impact on me to the point where everybody that I meet that's a Christian, I recommend that you go to the Holy Land and see the places of the Bible. Uh, there are three testaments, the old, the new, and the land of the Bible. And the land is still there, and you can see it, touch it, taste it, you can experience it. So that set me on a trajectory which changed my desire for what I wanted to do. I felt a call toward ministry and teaching. But before going to seminary, after I graduated from Covenant College, I, I worked a couple of jobs. Um, I still didn't know what to do with this internal desire. I knew I no longer was interested in law enforcement, though I tried. I tried to get a job with the Chattanooga Police Department, the U.S. Marshal Service, and even the National Park Service, and no one would hire me. <laughs> In retrospect, I would have been a horrible law enforcement agency because I would have been too nice to people, so I wouldn't have, that wouldn't have worked. Um, my first real job out of college was working as a house parent at a Christian children's home. So my degree was in sociology, so that was a natural outlet for my degree, was in social work. So for a, a more than a year, I worked as a house parent with uh, young boys and girls that had been uh, deeply wounded in their life. And it was my job to be a dad. That was my job, to come in and love kids and spend time with them and help them do their homework and make them dinner. Not that, not that it was very tasty, but uh, play with them and counsel them and help them take their medicine and tuck them into bed. It was a, a very rewarding job, but also a very difficult job. If you've never done that, uh, 
for those people that do that for their life calling, they're to be commended. I did that when I was 22, 23, uh, but uh, another opportunity opened itself up about a year later. My home PCA church, Smoky Mountain PCA, not a big church, not a wealthy church in Appalachia. They had saved their pennies uh, over the years and had finally had enough money in the bank to hire a second staff member. And so they hired a ministerial assistant or they put out an application for that and I applied. Go nepotism, but no. But uh, they, they, they interviewed a number of candidates and, um, and they ended up hiring me and it was a tremendous blessing to do that. The title was ministerial assistant, but I, uh, I was really uh, the youth minister there, the youth pastor. And, and I had that job for about a year before the, before the funding had run out. But that was a, a great time for me, very transformational and informative because it gave me the opportunity to continue to work with kids, but within a church setting it helped me to uh, gain more confidence in my ability to, to lead and organize events, uh, to teach. And I received confirmation from, from men and women in the church that I had the gift of teaching. And so that was really important time. And I enjoyed working there. After about a year there and, and, and having to leave, I ended up taking another job back in social work. I was hired as a case manager for the state of Tennessee. Uh, that was even a more difficult and even more depressing experience than working at the children's home. Uh, I was an advocate for children. Uh, I worked in Knoxville and I made home visitations uh, to people's houses where kids were uh, uh, possibly in dire straits. So I would talk and interview with parents. I would talk and interview with kids. Very difficult work, rewarding work, but very difficult. Uh, I'd often have to advocate for kids within a court setting before a judge and sometimes would even have to recommend kids being taken out of the home and put in foster care. Um, as you can imagine, that was, it was very difficult. And um, sometimes it felt like putting Band-Aids on gaping flesh wounds. Uh, as an employee of the state of Tennessee, they required me to provide abortion literature and all manner of things I didn't agree or believe in. I did not give them any of those things. In fact, I would just give the people that I encountered the gospel. Wasn't supposed to do that either, but I didn't really care. Uh, that's what the people needed. Uh, I did provide services for them, uh, but I, I viewed it as an outreach for evangelism and ministry as well. But during that time, I realized in my desire to teach people and evangelize people and to minister to people that I was limited in what I could do in a, in a social services setting. So I felt a profound sense at this moment in my mid-20s that I needed to go to seminary. God was calling me to seminary, and for months on end, I would wake up with a huge weight on my chest, uh, a Herculean rock, a boulder on there that would wake up, and I would immediately, the first thing I would think about is, you need to go to seminary. I don't know how to explain it any other way than that, but it was just a, a prompting of the Lord to do that. So I applied to Covenant Seminary, the only seminary, the PCA's official seminary, and uh, it was a fantastic experience. Um, I did that for a couple of reasons. One, it was the PC's official seminary and I am Presbyterian and reformed in my doctrine and I wanted to continue to receive that training. I didn't want to go anywhere else. The added blessing to attending the PCA seminary was at that time, they had an ongoing archeological excavation. It was the, your PCA's denomination, your seminary, 
was the only seminary, evangelical seminary in the United States at the time that still had an active invest, uh, excavation, that still had a hand in archaeology. And unfortunately, in the evangelical community, in the biblical world, we've given that discipline up to non-Christians, which is crazy. So that was the added discipline um, or, or benefit of, of going to that seminary. I worked on an MDiv, Master of Divinity degree. I did not take the normal route though, uh, and I actually overlapped with Pastor Josh by two years, but I didn't know him at the time. Uh, you, you went to seminary and married, right? Is that right? Were you married in seminary? Yeah, and I was single, so I lived in on-campus uh, single housing. And um, I, it took me four years to get through that degree. I was in what's called the non-ordination track. So I took a uh, minimal amount of some of the practical theology classes that I had, and I had more heavy load of systematics and biblical studies and some archeology. span While I was there, I worked at the uh, museum that was on campus that housed artifacts for the excavations, worked there for four years with one of my professors, learning how to handle ancient antiquities, uh, didn't steal anything, just, and, um, and giving tours. And I also became a part of the excavation. I came on staff with the dig there. Uh, this excavation is still going on. The site is called Abila. It's in northern Jordan. I've been on staff with them and working with them for 20 years going on their digs. Yes? Okay. Um, I, uh, it, it was a profound experience to go overseas and excavate and work, and it's something that I still enjoy. The greatest benefit, though, of excavating was not only finding ancient antiquities, but it's also the place that I met my wife. So she's the best thing that I ever dug up. <laughs> I met, met, that's right, thank you. <laughs> met her in 2006, and, uh, and uh, we married the following year in, in 2007. She was a student at John Brown University, and, I, and that's how we met. Uh, the dig is now with her school. It's not with Covenant Seminary anymore. So great experiences at Covenant Seminary. They taught me a lot. They reconfirmed my desire to teach, but at that time I was still thinking about teaching. I hadn't yet sensed a call to the pastorate. After we had gotten married, I, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia in 2007, and we both got jobs as Christian school teachers. I taught at Harvester Christian Academy. My wife taught at Atlanta Classical Christian School. She worked there for two years. I worked there for roughly six years. I mainly taught high school classes, some middle school, I taught classes in biblical studies, theology, doctrine, church history. After my beginning of my second year, this, this school was a school, a parochial mission of a PCA church, Chapel Hill Presbyterian. After, in my second year, I was approached by the session and the church staff there to come on board. So they hired me part-time to be their mercy and missions coordinator, which I did throughout my tenure there. So I worked full-time as a teacher and part-time on pastoral staff. My, my main job was to reach out with college and career. It was to minister to men. It was to lead missions trips, which I led our church on trips to Honduras, India, and uh, Cherokee Indian Reservation, and also a mercy ministry outreach where we did a home repair ministry where we served our local community. Actually, what we did was we would go to the, the neighbors of our members' houses and work on their houses. Uh, we would do yard work, we would paint their house, we would work on plumbing. And 
that was an excellent uh, way to reach out to the community and also to do missions without having to travel 10,000 miles. Um, it was during this time, though, uh, as a staff member at this church that I felt a sense of God's calling in the pastorate. So I started my internship requirements with the PCA. I began to preach, to help lead worship, to teach Sunday school. And at the end of my time there in 2013, I ended up being ordained and called to that church as an assistant pastor on a part-time basis. That did not last too long though because the church and the school were having financial difficulties. And so only six months or so after that call, we, we ended up having a tough choice to make and we ended up leaving. I ended up going back to school to pursue further graduate work in biblical archeology. span I earned a second master's in Old Testament Semitic languages and biblical archeology span from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago. And then after that, I decided to apply to PhD programs and I was accepted into a couple and I chose to come to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, which brought us here. I'm no longer a student at that school because in 2020, COVID uh, for me, as for many people, uh, shut down that program. And, uh, but thankfully in the Lord's provision, he provided a way for myself and other students and the faculty to be brought over to Lipscomb University in Nashville, where I'm still currently a student in that program in my comps perspective stage working toward biblical archeology. span Colleyville PCA. We visited this church uh, within the first few weeks of uh, moving to Fort Worth and we didn't look back. Um, this has been a tremendous home for us and we, we love it here. You guys have been tremendous friends and a blessing to all of us. And what we appreciate about Colleyville is your warmth and hospitality. Working in PCA churches, attending many PCA churches and the enclave of Covenant College and Covenant Seminary, I've been to a lot of PCA churches and this is one of the most warm, friendliest, welcoming churches I've ever been a part of, where within the first few months of attending here, every Sunday there was an invitation to someone's home for hospitality. You all are faithful in your, in your prayers, in your visitations, in your calls, and pastoral care. And for me, I'm so humbled to have the opportunity to serve now this congregation that has so well served my family uh, that I look forward to pouring into you as you all have poured into us. Uh, especially in this past year, some of you know, some of you may not know, last fall at this time, I was contemplating my life as I had been diagnosed with lymphoma, which is a type of blood cancer, not knowing whether I would live or die in the coming year or years, and wrestling through those uh, questions and issues, uh, this church faithfully loved my family so well. And so I would have never have imagined uh, in my wildest imagination that a year later I would be standing before you as your assistant pastor. And I, I can't think of a better way of, of showing my appreciation, thanks, and love to you all and to the Lord than to serving you as your assistant pastor. So thank you very much from the bottom of our hearts for loving my family so well. What I hope to do here as your assistant pastor is to continue on in the ministry that Pastor Josh in the session has started. Christ is our life. He is our everything. And I want to support the session in that. 
Specifically, particularly the things I'll be doing is uh, men's ministry. So I'm hoping to start very soon our men's Bible study again, but this time in the morning before work hours. Some of you I've, I've surveyed for some hours. I have to talk to others to see when that might work for you. Uh, a time of fellowship and prayer for men as well. Also working with, the, with uh, our student ministry, with having oversight and participating in hosting and teaching, uh, facilitating and chaperoning. Also helping with Lord's Day worship, uh, preaching, uh, ministering the sacraments as, as Josh needs, and teaching Sunday school both for the youth and for adult Sunday school. And also uh, to minister to you men on a one-on-one discipleship basis. That's where my heart is, is in mentoring and discipleship, and I look forward to getting to know you all into doing those things. So um, I, th- I think that's it. I hope I didn't go over. And um, it's a time for questions. You can ask about my life or yeah. where Noah's Ark is or. <laughs> hey, minutes. Are there questions or things you want to hear more about? Roy. Uh, did you see a place where your college How did you get here? Oh, yeah. So we, I was working on my degree in Chicago from 2013 to 2016. I had finished my degree. Um, I had applied to some PhD programs. At TEDS, right? Yeah, at TEDS. At Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. I applied to some PhD programs, got accepted into a few, and was making a decision about where to go. In the meantime, uh, we moved back to Tennessee, and we moved into my parents' house and their mother-in-law's suite in the basement, all four of us crammed in one bedroom. Good times, you can ask Kendall about that. <laughs> and I, uh, we made the decision to move here. I was accepted at a Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary to do a PhD in biblical archeology. span and we decided to move here to Fort Worth in 2017 for me to start school. All of this time, Kendall has been sacrificial and gracious to work during this whole time while I've been in school to provide for our family. So that's how we ended up here for me for school and for her for work. Well, I understand how you made it to this area. Oh. But why here? This church, you mean? Why this church? Oh. Oh. Well, as a, as a, Oh yes, yeah, sorry. No, no. As, as a as a PCA minister, we started visiting PCA churches, and uh, once we visited this church, we stopped visiting. Uh, Josh's preaching is excellent. I uh, thoroughly believe and enjoy and support our liturgical style of worship. I grew up PCA only taking communion though quarterly, and. Uh, through my studies and my own convictions, I feel like our commitment and emphasis of weekly communion is biblical and sound, something that I'm glad that we do and want to facilitate and do. Uh, the care and the hospitality of this church is uh, bar none compared to other churches I've attended. I just saw myself here for my family, for them growing spiritually. And <clears throat> while we were here for five years, Josh in the session has been kind to allow me opportunities to uh, preach occasionally, to help lead worship, to exercise those gifts and skills. One of the things, though, that I will say that I left out was, in that five-year period, uh, there was a noticeable absence of me being able to minister. And it brought sadness in many ways, and I talked to Josh in the session about this, that many, many, my respect is that many years that I've lost that the locusts have taken. And I've become spiritually fat. Uh, and that I'm intaking too many calories and not expending them. So this is an opportunity to, to give back. That's great. Jeff, why don't you say a, a, just a little bit about your wife and children in terms of 
who they are and what they do, what they're up to. Yeah, those kinds of things. That's great. I should have done that. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. So I've been uh, I've been married for 15 years. My wife, Kendall, is sitting right over there. And as I said, I met her on an archaeology dig. I uh, didn't imagine in my wildest imaginations that that would happen. We were married in uh, July of 2007. Uh, we dated long distance after we met. She lived in Korea for a year teaching English and working for a chaplain on an army base. She grew up army. Uh, within the first couple of years of marriage, we had our first son, Riley Prager, who's sitting right there. He's 13 years old. He attends Northridge Middle School, loves saxophone, and uh, loves his bunny. We have a pet bunny. I have another son, Garrett, who's 10 years old. Uh, both of my boys were born in Georgia, um, and he's in Sunday school right now. And uh, both my boys are a joy to me. Well, family is a joy to me, and I'm blessed to have them in my life. And uh, my wife is a great support, and uh, I love my sons. So. That's great. What are the questions or things that you'd like to hear more about from Jeff? The years the locusts have taken, oh, that yeah, comment that right. you made. Not for Can you, but something you learn in Covenant College or in Covenant Presbyterian, I've been there. You had so much, so many wonderful things that I was listening to. I can't remember exactly when you said it, but you said something to the effect that it made you very sad. It's, I want to say that um, the church had abdicated responsibility for, or the colleges had. Oh, archaeology. I think that's what you, when you mentioned that, Archaeology has been given over oh. to the secular oh, yeah. institutions. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, so, you know, uh, the, the scriptures are ours. They're, they're, they're our text. They speak to our history about our Savior. And within the academic community, we as Christians uh, have removed ourselves from the sphere and, and my particular discipline from archaeology. So when most people pick up the biblical text, they don't, they don't want to read it as God's word, but even beyond that, they don't even read it as if it's uh, historically reliable. And that's, that's a shame, because it is. Uh, I don't view archaeology, though, as a discipline to prove the biblical text. It doesn't need proven. It stands on its own. But it is a, a discipline uh, that provides illumination and uh, uh, can show the veracity, the truthfulness, and the perspicuity of the text, the clarity of the text. Uh, it helps with exegesis of the text. And it, it, and it also, in many ways, uh, for us who are in America, who live thousands of miles away, it, it, it encourages your faith as well, to see the faithfulness and the reliability of the biblical text laid out before you. When you see the Mount of Olives, it's really there. It's really there. That's great. Yeah, Eric. Good question. <laughs> repeat, repeat the question for the mic. Yeah, wh what are my what are my hobbies, and how do I stay physically active? Uh, <laughs> I'll take the second one first. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I should. I've actually had uh, some health problems over the last couple of years. Uh, my wife works for Lifetime Fitness. I have a free membership at the best gym in the area and in the nation, and I don't use it. So, shame on me. 
Uh, one of my passions is hiking. And so when we're able, that's one of the ways that I uh, enjoy physical activity is, is hiking and backpacking. So we, we try to take trips once a year at least to go camping and do some of those things. I used to be a runner. I should probably do that again. Um, what was the first part of your question? Hobbies. hobbies. Oh, hobbies. Uh, <clears throat> I grew up playing saxophone. Uh, I don't anymore, but I, I really love music. I listen to a lot of music. I play guitar as well. Um, I'm not the best guitarist. I picked it up for my own edification to do that. I love reading, uh, so I, I will read. I love sports. Um, I love watching football. I love playing with my kids. We're a board game family, so we do play a lot of board games. Um, I love movies. Um, we, we used to do a lot of gardening. But we, we live in a rental home now, so we don't have a lot of say over what we, we do with the, the house and the, and the yard. But we, my wife is a gardener, so I'll, I'll help her with gardening. So those are a few. I, I'm a fly fisherman, so I do fly fish. I am not on the level of Alveda. I have learned a lot from him. He's given me a lot of lures already to increase my game. And as I said, I love, I love camping and backpacking and outdoors. <laughs> Who's your football team, Jeff? I am, <clears throat> well, in this crowd, I am a fan. <laughs> I could offend you in two ways. Um, I cheer for Tennessee, the real UT. And uh, I am also, uh, because I'm a Pittsburgh native, I adopt uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers are my favorite NFL team, so there you go. So. Perfect. That's, that's right. <laughs> what other questions? I think, did Jacqueline, did you have your hand up? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, but I Oh, perfect. <laughs> Great timing. <laughs> You're still a PhD candidate. Yeah. So when you finish that, like how much time do you have left, and what are you planning to do with that? Like how long do you see yourself here at Colorado? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Let's repeat the question. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm still a PhD student. What do I intend to do with that? How long will I be here? So, so yeah, <clears throat> very good questions. Um, I, am, I am limping to the finish line, limping to the finish line. And that's actually something I'm still internally wrestling with, if this is something I actually want to continue. Uh, life has changed a lot for me in the, the past PhD year. The PhD studies. Yeah, the PhD studies, that's right. Life has changed a lot in the past year. So I'm wrestling through whether or not I want to continue in that endeavor. Um, for me, the PhD program has been a way of providing better understanding for the biblical text. Um, when I prep a lesson, whether it was in the middle or high school, uh, whether I prepare a sermon, it's given me eyes and a vision to see the biblical text in, in ways that maybe not others have seen uh, by helping me to gra grapple with the background of the biblical world to help explain things differently. So for me, um, <clears throat> it's, it's a way to enhance my exegesis and ability to teach and preach. So if I do end up finishing the PhD, um, if the Lord calls me to uh, continue pastoring, I will still stay pastoring. I have no interest in teaching in a secular university. I have no interest in doing that at all. I'm interested in building up the church and training his people. But I, I will cover your prayers for that uh, in making a wise decision in, in how to balance uh, ministry and school and whether I should even continue school. So. Why don't you explain 
to a person who doesn't know anything about PhD programs exactly where you're at in the process of your doctoral studies. Sure. So I've, <coughs> a P oh yeah, I, I didn't ask you, answer the question of the length of it. That really depends on the person. Um, I'm in year six, but I've had health issues, cancer. I also had some cardiac heart issues a couple of years ago, and then COVID threw uh, a monkey wrench into the works. So I'm actually behind where I should be probably by a couple of years. I am finished with all of my coursework though. So the, the, this, I don't take any classes right now, which is why I'm still living here. Uh, I did not have to move to Nashville when the program shifted to a different institution. My advisors allowed me to stay here. I did not want to move. My wife has a great job. My kids are embedded in their lives and their schools and we love this church. So we had no desire to uproot and move, even though my home state is Tennessee and my family lives there, we had no desire to do that. So I'm in my comps perspective stage, prepping for an exam to take, to show my knowledge of all the things that I've taken. And a prospectus is writing a mini paper about what my dissertation will be. My dissertation will hopefully be on writing on two ancient Byzantine churches that were excavated at the site that I dig at in Jordan. So. How long would that take? Uh, it could take a few years to write that, if, if I stick with it. <laughs> Excellent. Yep. Two questions. Yeah. yeah, theoretically, I would take those exams this, sometime this fall or winter, like November, December. Any other questions for Jeff? Things that you want to hear more about? Yeah, Donovan. Yeah. Um, are you going to pursue any more archaeological expeditions? Or interested in leaving one? Or? Yeah, good, <laughs> good question. <clears throat> that's, uh, that's part of the reality of being a PhD student, uh, is there are certain commitments in the archaeology field. For my program, um, our program is the largest evangelical program in the world. So we're actually involved in with six archaeological excavations. Uh, I'm connected with the one in Jordan still, which meets and which uh, proceeds every other summer for a number of weeks. Uh, there are also requirements for me as a student to go on digs. Um, I have the possibility of going on one this January for two weeks to Sudan to dig a pyramid. Yes, it, it, there's a there's a ten year cap. Let's hope it wouldn't take that long. So I'm in year six. So theoretically, I have five more years. Yeah. So you just mentioned would it lighten us a little bit on, a, on an archaeological dig like that? Because I would envision that you're going for months and months and months, but it's only Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. So funding and money is everything in the academic world. Okay. A as an archaeologist, or for those that do that, you don't make money digging. You pay to dig. 
You make your money as a teacher, and you do it in your own time in the summer. You may get paid stipends uh, or grant money, uh, but you pay to do that. So in the excavations that I'm a part of, that my school's a part of, uh, that money is raised through donors or, or the institution itself. Uh, <clears throat> the, the dig in Sudan, for example, though, is an unusual one. It's actually being funded by National Geographic and CNN, and they're gonna film a documentary about it. Um, so the funding there is a long-term. They've already been digging there before. It's a number of schools, a consortium of schools that are coming together to participate in this venture. It's actually a really interesting dig because this pyramid belongs to a pharaoh named Taharqa. He's actually mentioned in the book of Isaiah as being the savior of Jerusalem when Shanachareb comes down in 701 to attack Jerusalem when Hezekiah is king. And in that passage it says that I caged up Hezekiah like a bird. Then it says the angel of the Lord came and slayed hundreds of thousands of the Assyrians and the Assyrian army withdrew. And then Hezekiah petitions the Pharaoh of Egypt to Harka to attack the Assyrians. So this is actually a case where there's a one-to-one -one correlation between the biblical text with, with ancient history. Um, but excavations, some of them go year round, depends on the funding. Some of them are every other year, some of them are only for a few weeks. Uh, and, and really, the reality is, is that you have, a, you have a, uh, a research design where you're only excavating certain sections of the site uh, to preserve it for other institutions that have research questions. Because once you excavate something, you damage it forever. Archaeology is the, the, the science of destruction in many ways. There's, it's an unrepeatable activity. But yeah, funding's everything, and yeah, sometimes it lasts for a few weeks. Some digs, it can be year-round. All right, that's um, all the time that we have. Let's stand and pray together. Jeff, I'm sure we'll be happy to discuss any of these things at more length. Father, we're grateful for Jeff and for um, the story of your love for him, your grace and mercy and to him and to Kendall and to Riley and Garrett. We're thankful for their, your providence in bringing them to our church five years ago um, and the ways that they've been a part of our body. We pray for your blessing now on Jeff as he um, takes up this call. Um, back into active ministry, pastoral ministry. And we pray that you would bless um, the fruits of his labors. We pray you give him wisdom in the questions that he's wrestling with in terms of his um, doctoral studies and how they relate um, overall to your call in his life. And we pray that you would bless um, him and, and Kendall and their children um, as they step into this new role, Father. And we ask that not only they would be a blessing to us as a church, but that we would be a blessing to them as well. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.